my first mission trip, the first I ever led, not my first one I went on, but the first trip, mission trip I ever led was to Alaska. Ministry's tough, right? I, uh, I stepped in to lead a trip at the last minute. I hadn't been planning on going. It was a, a youth ministry trip, and the youth leader, it's a whole other story, but asked me to go right at the, at the last minute. Um, suffice it to say, I said yes, and you should know I had no experience leading a mission trip. Our, uh, our mission was to be camp counselors at a camp kind of uh, in, the, in the Alaskan wilderness, Chugiak, Alaska, uh, not too far from Anchorage. And it was a United Methodist mission where they brought kids out of the, out of the city of Anchorage that couldn't afford camp otherwise. These were kids of all, all different elementary students, but all different, all different kinds, all different family backgrounds. Some of those, some of those not so easy. There's one little guy I remember in particular, and little guy isn't quite right. Uh, he was like this solid, solid 10-year-old boy, all boy. Uh, he, uh, let's just say he was a handful. Um, that's a, a nice way to put it. Um, he, or a tear would be another way. Like, he went to the camp director multiple times during the week. Um, his counselors had just had it up to here. Uh, he would push and shove, and I, it, it was just, he was a problem from the time he arrived at, uh, at camp. On Wednesday, so the next to last night of camp, the adults were having a meeting, probably talking about him. That's usually what our meetings were in the evenings. And, um, um, and these, there were two guys in his cabin, and one of them came running in and came straight to me and goes, I think you need to come down to our cabin. And I said, all right, what, what's up? And he's like, Dan is sitting on him. And I said, do you mean like literally sitting on him? Yep. So I go down to the cabin, and the whole time I'm headed down there, I'm like, I, these, two, these two counselors, like I just feel for them. I, they didn't know what they were getting. They signed up for a trip to Alaska. Like the mission even was secondary. They had no idea what they were getting into. And so I, I get into the cabin, and, and luckily by this time, Dan is no longer sitting on the kid. And, and, uh, and so I, I pulled Dan aside. I'm like, tell me what happened. And so he told me, this little guy had said, um, I, bet, um, I bet I can hurt you, or something to that effect. Um, I bet I can hurt you if I rack you. And he thought he was kidding. And then the kid just hauled off and kicked him between the legs. Dan, in response, taught the kids in the cabin a new word. Um, <laughs> and, and then kind of just backed the kid over to the bed and like literally sat down on him. And, and so I, I said to Dan, I'm like, Dan, I, look, I feel for you guys. I get how hard this has been, but this is not appropriate. You cannot do that. I'm like, and I, I want to, I affirmed him for all the, you know, all the effort he'd given that week. But I said, we're, we're going to have to fill out an incident report. You're not in trouble. Don't think of it that way. But, but we need to fill this out. So if anybody asks or if the mother's upset, we can, you know, share what happened and, and share what it was. And so we, we did that, and, uh, and then I said, and you're going to need to go in and apologize to him. And he looked at me like, what? <laughs> I said, I, you've, you have to model it. You've got to go in and apologize. And, uh, and he didn't argue. He went in, and he, he apologized to the, to the kid. And, and then this whole time, as I'm watching him apologize to the kid, I'm going, okay, now what am I going to do? 
like, I now have to talk to this kid, and he needs to know that what Dan did wasn't right, but I, the behavior has to change. What am I going to say? I haven't done this before either. And so I had Dan and the other counselor get all the other guys, and they, they went to the other side of the cabin. And, uh, and then I, I sat on the side with this kid, and I, I sat down, and I, I just started to say, I'm like, look, what Dan did was, was not uh, appropriate. He should not have sat on you. And, and then I was getting ready to, to find something else to say, and the, the kid looked right at me, and he goes, if I had thought more thoroughly about my actions and made better choices, Dan wouldn't be in trouble now. <laughs> like, this nine-year-old went from, like, little terror to little philosopher, right there in front of my very eyes. And I... I realized in that moment, I think what had happened was that over the course of this camp, uh, this little guy had kind of started to look up to Dan, right? And recognizing now that his actions had gotten Dan into trouble, um, like it finally connected, like there was empathy there. It sort of finally got through to this kid. I don't remember any other incidents in the last 36 hours of that camp. The camp ended on, on Friday afternoon. I can't say to you, I wish I could, that like the kid was transformed forever, but I can tell you that God showed up in a way that was totally unexpected. By that Wednesday, the counselors, the director, the rest of us, like we, were, we had just given up. We were just surviving. Like There's nothing we can do other than just try and keep loving him and... and, and and get him home safely. But God, God was ready to show up in a way that none of us expected. Which leads us to a, a question today, like what do we expect of God, of, of ourselves, of others? What do, what do we expect from the world today? Let's pray. God, as, as we think about this question, what, about our expectations, how we, how we live our lives in, in response, particularly in this season of Advent, and God, as we, as we visit Nazareth today in, in this sermon series, I just pray that you'll, you'll open our minds to understand, to understand what you would have us learn today. You'd open our ears to hear and the message that you have, maybe a different one even for each one of us. Lord, that you'd open our hearts and our souls to the depth of your amazing love. Remind us of the invitation to share in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sitting in the center of the Galilee region, one could easily and mistakenly assume that Nazareth is the like, center of, of the Galilee region. If you look at a Bible map, lots of times you'll see Nazareth, and it'll have a, usually a pretty big star. But it's kind of misleading, because the truth is that Sepphoris, which is a community just a few miles from Nazareth, was a, was a big center of Roman influence, while Nazareth was this tiny little tiny little village, so tiny it doesn't even appear on maps, Roman maps in biblical times. It wasn't even on their maps. 
Not only that, but Nazareth is not mentioned in any source other than the Bible until the third century. It was just this out-of-the-way out place. If you wanted to find the, the center of influence where movers and shakers and where, where leaders were born, you'd go to Sepphoris where there was Roman influence and, and culture and lots of money being spent. And if you wanted to find the real seat of power for the region, you went to Jerusalem where Herod was, was king. Nazareth, it was just the kind of places where, you, where the people there just made ends meet, likely not even educated. They were just making their way through life. Certainly not the kind of place that raised future kings. And yet, we find this in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. This is where God sends the angel to a to a young girl in a, in a family there. It, it's here in Nazareth that the annunciation, the announcement of the coming Messiah is made. How many of you know the song, Mary, Did You Know? You know the song, Mary, Did You Know? Right? Have any of you, have any of you ever like, been on social media and seen like, the outcry about that song? Um, if you haven't, the, the problem is this. People are like, well, of course Mary knew. They find it kind of insulting to Mary to ask, did you know? But when I think about this song, uh, and if you listen to the radio, you listen to the words, I don't think the song's really being asked, if, it's really asking Mary if Mary knew. We know that Mary knew because the, the angel came and told her. I think the question is really, do we know? Do we know who Jesus is? Do we expect Jesus to show up in the ways that the song talks about? to work miracles, to transform lives? Do, do we, hearing this song, what is it that we expect as we live lives of faith? Do we expect that God can work in the most unlikely places through the most unlikely people? Recent excavations in, uh, in Nazareth, studies there have, have suggested that Nazareth wasn't just an out-of-the-way place, although it was certainly that. It also seems to have been kind of an, an enclave um, where a place that sort of resisted the cultural influences around it. So in the same time frame as they've done excavations, uh, like even the pottery in Nazareth shows that, um, that they were separated from sort of the Roman culture and all the, all the progress that was happening around them. Uh, it really kind of served two purposes to be that separated, though. One, one, it seems that Nazareth was a place that was resistant to the cultural influences of the Roman Empire. They didn't buy into the, into the paganism. There seems to have been a, a synagogue there, so it seems to have been a, a tight Jewish community. But at the same time, it seems from the studies that maybe they clung so tightly to their Jewish tradition that any space for growth and grace was lacking. We might compare them to the Pharisees in the Bible that Jesus addresses, so locked into their ways that they couldn't see God at work in their, in their very midst. The Bible gives us a clue that other Jewish people in the, in the region thought this about them, that, that they didn't have favorable views of the people from Nazareth. And we find this in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, 
Jesus is calling his first disciples, and Philip is one of those. Philip has answered the call, and Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel in the first chapter. And, uh, and he tells his friend Nathaniel about Jesus. You've got to meet this, this prophet. And, and this is what Nathaniel says in response. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And then Philip replies to his friend, and he says, come and see. Come and see. What do we expect? Do we write off situations and experiences because of the, the past experience that we've had? Do we write off people because of gossip or, or past judgments? Or are we willing to come and see? Are we willing to come and see what God might do? Put our perceptions to the side. According to Luke's gospel, the ministry of Jesus actually begins in Nazareth. But the story that is told is a little bit odd. If you want to follow along today, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 4. We pick up the story in Luke 4.14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee. So Jesus has been out. He's been tempted by Satan. Now his ministry is about to begin. He didn't give in to that temptation. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. So this first part of the story, maybe we can relate to it. Like it's, it's like hometown boy comes back and does good, right? He's gone off and he's become this successful teacher and they're so proud of him and, and they hear him talking about how he's going to be prophetic and he's going he's to speak the word of God and they're, they're excited. That's to be expected, right? But notice what happens next. This is where it gets a little odd. Jesus keeps teaching then and he says this, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Right? They're asking for signs and miracles. Truly I tell you, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. 
All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove Jesus out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the odd part. Like, what changed? They were so excited about about this young guy from the hometown and, and the word of God he was, he was bringing, and then all of a sudden something changes. What is, it, what is it that changes? Why do they suddenly become so angry? Well, what changes is, as Jesus is bringing this word from God, he begins to say that this word of God is for everybody. Elisha and Elijah, these stories, Elisha reaching out to the, the widow and in Elijah reaching out to the widow and Elisha reaching out to the Syrian. They're reaching out beyond the confines of the community. It's saying this, this message is bigger than you all. This message of God's love is for everybody. And they're not particularly happy about that. You see, the, the people of Nazareth, they were fine excited even, to think that Jesus would bring healing and good news to them. Right? But the idea that his message was for people a lot, so much unlike them, that was hard for them to fathom. The people of Nazareth, they thought Jesus would come. They expected Jesus to come with this word and, and make them feel comfortable and, and good about themselves and, and heal them. And yet here Jesus is saying, no, this, this message is not for those of you that already know God. It's to call you and all of us to, to be uncomfortable until everybody knows this grace and this goodness. The people of Nazareth, they didn't expect Jesus to call them to account, to invite them to face the discomfort of reaching out beyond the community they already know so that the love of God could spread. What do we expect from Jesus? Do we expect that God is, and faith is about our favor, even at the expense of others? Do we expect that God's church is here for us? Do we expect Jesus to make us comfortable? If Jesus came today, would we hear a, a message of, of invitation to, to stretch ourselves or even, even to note our own sinfulness, our own desire to stay in the comfort, would we, would we hear Jesus challenge that and welcome it, or would we want to throw Jesus off of, a, off of a cliff so we can keep our lives exactly like they are where we're comfortable? Would we hear Jesus' message of the church being us gathered together for the world, or, or would we want to hang on to a, a church that's just about meeting our own needs. You see, Advent invites us to prepare for Jesus. 
But sometimes I think it's so easy for us to get locked into the traditions that bring us comfort. We miss that there's another message in there. There's another message in this season about being called out to make sure that everyone hears this good news. In Nazareth today, we we begin to recognize that, that God invites us to look for good news in unexpected places. Like Philip says to his friend in John's gospel, come and see. Don't just stay where you are, where you're comfortable, but come and and enter into the the discomfort of the world because God wants to show up there and you can carry this good news into those areas of the world. You might have to let go of some expectations, some prior opinions, some deeply rooted judgments. You might have to be willing to face some discomfort, to leave behind some of what you think you know. But you see this invitation, this invitation we see as the Annunciation happens in this out-of-the-way place in Nazareth, and even the people of Nazareth have a hard time hearing it. This invitation, this invitation to come holds a promise that God's love is for everyone. It's for the outcast and the sinner. It's for the downtrodden. It's for those that are out on the margins of society. It's on those who feel lost. It's, on, it's, it's offered to those who don't think they're worthy. This invitation to know the love of Jesus is, is offered to you and it's offered to me. And this invitation is to recognize that if, if we'll just take a step out of our comfort zone and share the love of Jesus with everyone we meet, that we can begin to experience God moving in ways we might not even imagine possible. So what do we expect Do we live in a bubble and expect things to just be the same every day? Or are we willing to imagine God doing the unexpected through us? The kid at camp, on Friday, the celebration, the ending program, and and then they they went back to their rooms to clean out their cabins and, and put everything together. And uh, a little bit after that, Dan came up to me, and he goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And I'm like, look, we've been through it this week. I believe anything at this point. He said, our, our friend came up, and he gave me this huge hug, and he told me that it had been the best week of his entire life. A short time after that, the parents, they'd gotten all packed up, and then the parents went to grab the kids, and they're coming out. And I had handed the mother the, the incident report and kind of told her what had happened so that she was aware. And, uh, and she uh, and her son were walking up, and she, instead of just kind of walking on out, she turns and she makes a beeline for me. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> she read it. <laughs> um, and uh, um, she walked right up, and she's like, I can already see something has changed in him. Thank you. That week of ministry was not comfortable. 
The rest of exploring Alaska was very comfortable. That week of ministry was not comfortable. But it was there that God was showing up. It was our willingness to to just hold on to faith and hold on to love in the midst of that discomfort that allowed, allowed God's love, allowed the love of Jesus to grow. What do you expect? And how will what we expect lead us in and through this season of Advent? Amen.